Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Greetings, comrades. Things are um, getting really weird in this region. And, uh, you know, Alice is away for another week, and um, I'm starting to feel really alone in my small apartment over here. It's been two weeks already, guys. I, I can't find any, any new socks, which to wear. <laughs> but I'll manage, I'll manage. Uh, but yeah, that's why I can't really publish any new Stalin episodes currently, because, well, Alice does a ton of work on those, and she vets everything, and she pokes me when I do something wrong... So that will have to wait a bit. I promise next month, only Stalin episodes. Maybe, maybe one or two, something else. But uh, this month, kind of, it's time because of this to catch up on some other things that I wanted to do. And there's no better time to do that than this one, because first off, thanks to darkmyths.org and thanks to Secret Transmission guys who are editing this show. And yeah, you'll hear you'll hear from them later on. They're amazing people and they agree to help. Thank you for that to them. But, uh, yeah, over here, this region... I mean, you you most probably are stuck in, uh, you know, reading the news about your own country and everything, but I wanted to catch up on some political events here and what do they mean for kind of this global worldview of things. Because um, what we see now in this region is kind of getting more and more USSR-like, and I would even say kind of more and more Tsarist Russia-like. And this is kind of insane, really, if you think about it, because this is this is getting out of bounds. It's like some people have stopped pretending. There'll be a bit of yelling here in this episode. Um, well, I I honestly just don't know where to start, really. This is why I need Alice. She tells me where to start usually, and uh, my cat just walked over the table, but that's fine. But yeah, so I will just start with um, with an interesting debate that uh, happened on on YouTube basically it was a live stream debate it was it was an it was an interesting debate because it happened between two interesting people it happened between Igor Strelkov and Alexei Navalny now who are these people well Alexei Navalny is quite probably the only 
other serious politician in Russia besides Putin. And by only other, I mean the only non-related to Putin. He's basically the current leader of the opposition. The only one who actually put a stand against him. He was the one who organized these massive protest actions, whom I tweeted along all day long when they happened. By the way, in these protest actions uh, against corruption, in, he got arrested and put in jail for 30 days. Uh, previously, uh, sort of, um, previously state-funded thugs basically trashed his offices all around Russia. He got acid thrown in his face, acidic substance. It was one of these, you know, we call it billion zalyas, the, the green stuff which he used to disinfect those things that basically burned his eye. And he had to, uh, he had to undergo a kind of a heavy surgery. But yeah. The idea is that this uh, this guy had online debates, and everybody, by the way, realistically, we all know that Putin is probably gonna win next year again and be as president for his third time. Even though he has been president twice, then he was prime minister, and, and then he became president again. But yeah, before before that, he he tries to become a candidate. Alexander Alexander Navalny tries to run for president 2018, but you know, in Russia, you need to gather a bunch of signatures, valid signatures, to even be able to apply. The bureaucracy of running for president is insane. And even though it looks like Alexander Navalny will manage to push through that. Due to him being arrested for political reasons means that he will probably not be on the ballot and he admits it himself. But he's doing this because someone has to. He's doing this for, for principles and uh, he, has some, he has some various views. Some of them I find challenging myself, but uh, for the most part, he seems to be kind of the more rational guy, the guy that uh, we in the rest of the world would want to see leading Russia. Now, he was debating against Igor Strelkov. Now, who's that guy, you ask? Well, for uh, for the most people, he would be called a terrorist. But he himself is... Uh, he has served in the FSB, in the, the follow-up to the KGB. He's been officer there. He also is... He calls himself a writer and a publicist, but uh, he's a weird person. He had been serving in the Soviet Army for a while. He had fought... And he had fought in a lot of wars in Chechnya and in Afghanistan, so he's a war veteran. But right now, he is technically <laughs> kind of the massive supporter of this, and very famous in, this uh, Donetsk People's Republic. Uh, the separatist guys in Ukraine, mind you. Except he lives in Russia, has a Russian citizenship and everything. And through this Donetsk People's Republic, he got his fame, which is now he is also a major blogger in, in, uh, in YouTube, in Russian, Russian internets. Basically, he, from the 12th of May to 14th of August, August 2014, was the commander of the armed forces of the Donetsk People's Republic. He was also the Minister of Defense of this Donetsk People's Republic. So yeah, this guy was among the very first ones who started the fuss. He's a Russian citizen, he lives in Russia, he operates in Russia, he doesn't live in Donetsk himself anymore. He just, you know, sparked revolution and went there. He previously also uh, was very active in Abkhazia region and the Russian war versus Georgia for that region. And he also uh, is a huge fan of Nar- Nagorny Karabakh, which is conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia about that territory, and uh, obviously Russia is involved there too, because at this point it's not only Crimea and Donbas, it's also, remember this, uh, Nagorny Karabakh, Transtrinitia, which is a part of Moldova, technically, but you know, they have this this place in Moldova, which is essentially occupied by Russian forces, which is bordering Ukraine on the other side, and there's, essentially, he, he supports everyone and anyone who is a separatist 
who wants to join Russia, okay? And this is just crazy. And, uh, oh, by the way, from the 6th of, 6th of July, uh, he also, in 2014, he was the war commissar of Donetsk. And according to himself, by the way, so that we understand how much of a, you know, rebel this guy is, according to himself, his actions played a critical role of, you know, of turning what happened in Donbass into an armed conflict. Let me put this straight. Yes, he's proud of the massive, massive bloody war that's going on in eastern Ukraine, and he says, well, yes, of course I did it. It was great of me. Go, go... Pan-Slavism. Is that, that's, that's Pan-Slavism under Russia, mind you. That's, that's, just, um, that's just crazy. Oh, yeah, and I'll, after he went away from this Minister of Defense of, the, of this uh, Donetsk People's Republic, he just left Donbass. And, and now, now he just sits down in, in Russia. He yells at Putin sometimes, but he's extremely ultra-nationalistic, as we will see further on. And he just also yells at the current leadership of Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic. He also is a firm defender of monarchy in Russia, and he wants to restore that. And he is a fervent supporter of whites. He doesn't like Soviet Union that much, except he firmly believes that all the territories under the Soviet Union, uh, basically the Soviet Union was the rightful size of Russia, as it should be, as Russia should be mighty. And in general, he kind of dreams about the day and is very, very, very afraid and very scared that, you know, one day Russia might not become a monarchy. And he really loves the idea of Russia turning into a monarchy. And, you know, he's disappointed that it is not such right now. This is amazing. This is just amazing. And this guy has a huge, simply humongous internet following in, in Russia, okay? And, you know, and, and if we look at these debates, which, and this was, this was the most fun that I had in a long time, mind you. And I'm, now and then I play video games, this was much more fun than video games. Because these political debates kind of re- revealed a lot on what's going there, what's going on in the region. And also they... They allow us to kind of look at all the aspects that I, they that I talked about, and, you know, we will get Putin in there, we'll get Donetsk Luhansk there, and we'll get some Estonia there as well. Just, just, for, just for the kicks. So, let's start then. So, these, these debates started with, uh, with basically Strelkov sending a uh, kind of a public message on YouTube to Navalny. And Navalny is much more serious here than Strelkov, obviously, even though most people uh, on the RuleNet don't think that way, I, as far as I see, because these debates currently have like a massive amount of both likes and dislikes. But yeah, the thing is, the thing is, they, they talked about corruption, and they were arguing about what kind of methodology they both would use to fight with corruption, what's going wrong in the country. And it was all like, you know, typical, very internal policy stuff, which I'm a huge fan of. But that might not interest you. What what really struck me at one point was was the fact that when they started discussing the relationships with the West. And Strelkov automatically started out these debates by stating that the West is responsible for everything evil ever. That the West wants to keep Russia down. And by the West, he also meant Japan, mind you, and basically everyone who is not directly super friendly with Russia. And that the West is Russia's enemy number one and that we should crush it. And so Navalny basically asked, well, okay, but it's just normal that countries, you know, care about their own countries and stuff. And so they went about whether or not the West is enemy of Russia and who's bigger enemy of Russia, Putin, uh, Putin, who basically, because of whose corruption, many Russian people are living in poverty or the, the evil, evil West or something. <laughs> but then, 
And imagine this. These are like these. These were very watched debates. Uh, they were like on on the Vine Live channel and a bunch of other like really prominent uh, news channels and YouTube Russian news channels. Because you see, in Russia, you know, getting this in prime television would be impossible. So a lot of independent uh, independent news channels actually kind of try to do something good about the news. They're they're all on YouTube. But uh, yeah, so they they got they got a question which was seriously considered, mind you, and uh, just think if if such a question could. Uh, could happen anywhere else and uh, the question was how can we resist the west and restore russia in the previous borders and is it possible and should it be needed to restore monarchy in russia now the question itself is is crazy that's uh wow that's that's a bit cringy over here especially as i was uh, listening to this and uh, if you think about it what what are the previous borders of russia well mr strelkov instantly replied that, you know, uh, if we talk about the previous borders, and, and he specifically mentions that he talks about the Russian Empire here, and, and then he said, well, no, we cannot, uh, getting, getting Poland in and getting Finland in, that would be unrealistic. Then he completely omits Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, he just doesn't even mention them, even though he was very specific about Poland, Poland and Lithuania. Instead, he just says, but it should be very, very realistic and we should focus all our attention of, of you know, uniting the, the great Slavic lands of at least, you know, of, of Ukraine and of Belarusia and they all should become a part of Russia. And then, and then Navalny again asked at one point, but, but wait a minute, so you think that getting more territory would solve our problems? Because, you know, Russia is the largest country on planet Earth. And he said, but it's all about the people and everything, and these people are totally our own Russians and everything. Now, I wonder how many people uh, living in Ukraine currently uh, would, would call themselves Russian. Uh, at the same time, the interesting part is that what happened was basically that Navalny himself kind of responded, and he, later on, the conversation continues, and the uh, discussion turns into Crimea and all these situations and these republics. And what happened was that also Navalny wasn't ready to state that they would take the, the military out of there. Now, I understand why, because obviously uh, this thing is, like this acquisition of Crimea, this restoration of Russian glory and everything, it's very popular there. I mean, it makes makes perfect sense, and a lot of people make fun of that, but this is how their how they're kind of inner politics work. Even Navalny, even a person who hates corruption and doesn't like a lot of Putin's ideas, and it's obviously, well, he's debating here, and he's arguing about the relationships in the West, and he said that, um, that, yeah, it's not as simple, that there are no simple solutions there. And he specifically refused to mention taking, taking troops out of there and doing some, some returning of these territories. And, and then, then this is, this is when, when things get really scary and we should, we should kind of move on and look at these, look at these things, especially since, since Strelkov was, was from these uh, DTR things. Donetsk People's Republic DPR, sorry, that's, that's how it's in English. And DPR managed to get in the news themselves, you know, besides, in the context of this. Because this debate happened just as DPR, uh, its leader, Alexander Zahar- Zaharchenko, he publicly declared that the DPR and LHR, LPR, Luhansk People's Republic, that they would kind of unite and they would basically unite into something called Small Russia. Yeah, that's how the that's how the country would be called. They 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 have done this previously a couple of times. There was their Novo Russia proje- project or New Russia project, which sort of failed because uh, it bre- it break it was stopped due to the Minsk treaties and how people are trying to stop violence there. 
But yeah, according, according to Zakharchenko, the small Russia would take over the current functions of the Ukrainian government and would include both Donbas and everything in Ukraine. So this small Russia basically will, will take over all of Ukraine. Obviously, that is uh, not going to happen in the closest time, but, you know, one of these crazy, crazy-sounding things. And uh, the idea is that Zakharchenko thinks that Ukrainian government, in the form that as it was, is not replaceable, and that they basically want to create a new country which would be the successor of Ukraine, as Ukraine is now run by Nazis. And they're all evil, and they have destroyed all legitimate government. And this is Zakharchenko, okay? Uh, and, and this is what happened recently, just the day before the debates. Now, when you come back to this situation, and when you see that the Strelkov, who has, again, a massive, massive, massive following in the social media and the YouTube, he has, he's basically the Russian analog of neo-Nazi alt-right, okay? And, and when, when you hear these debates knowing about this Malo Russia, and about the fact that they're not even, like, hiding anything. No, it's... And, and th- he's... He used to be very close to Putin, too. And, and he has some pull in the society, because, you know, some some people who like him a lot are in this Gosduma. And they just did ban both anonymous messengers and these calls, as I mentioned previously. This is getting scary, because uh, it's it's one thing that, you know... It's one thing if, if kind of someone completely from the fringe is unknown and just posts some, some theories on a blog post, or even if it's just this Zakharchenko who sits down in his own little Donbass and, and is just making noise to get more money from Russia or something. But uh, if a person manages to grab enough pull to openly debate the one and only the most popular opposition leader in Russia, then there is something there. And that... That gets, like, really scary. And this also just falls in, because as I'm recording this, and this is about fifth or sixth... uh, (laughs) Fifth or sixth time when I try to record this episode, but always something pops up. For example, just now, as I sat down on my computer today, on the 24th of July, to finally finish this episode, uh, a news popped up from Medusa Yo. And there was, you know, that that is the first Baltic channel. It used to be be called Ostankin, and that's the Russian-speaking channel, which is aired from Moscow and is kind of aimed at the Baltic people, and, but it's also watched in, watched in Russia. It is basically, it's called now the first Baltic channel because it's, it's the most popular channel, the Russian-speaking channel here in the Baltics. And a journalist, Ilya Rozdzestvinsky, basically just quit as he had uncovered some leaks and had some really good sources and information uh, which he had found about an, a secret prison of the FSB of the successors of KGB near Moscow. And according to him, he gave uh, to his editors six different variants of this material, but uh, he got responses that, you know, this one doesn't, doesn't suit our format, and this is basically, you know, when, when, you write about, when, you, when you write about secret prison in Moscow, whose uh, who, who's kind of people who had been there had told you about the torture they had endured because it was about KGB level, uh, he got a response that this is an attempt to basically justify terrorism. Yes, so these guys are suspected to be, of being terrorists, and this is an attempt to justify them. So the story is terrible. And the editor's commentary, this is, uh, the editor's commentary for this is excellent, because he asked, uh, and this is sort of recorded there, he asked this Rozhestvensky a nice question about this. What? Do we believe that those who are suspected in terrorism would be kind of, you know, carried in, in, in a nice nice car and put in a white camera and, you know, given some coffee? Or, or something? No, they should be beaten. It's like, just amazing. 
So this is kind of interesting. And uh, this material did appear. It uh, also just went out today. I haven't read it yet, so it won't be in the episode, but I'll, I'll be sure to post it as soon as I translate it. Uh, it's it's a material of this Ilya Rojestvensko. It, it came out in uh, the site called Republic. And in him, five five people who have been before officially arre- before they were officially arrested for anything. Uh, they were held in the secret prison in near Moscow and tortured a lot. And that, you know, these FSB people went there. So what's going on here is that in in recent days we see that basically everyone's trying to get attention. People in Russia are uh, very very crazy about this little Russia and the unification of all the Slavs. At the same time, the government is um, turning into more and more kind of totalitarian, and, and this is this is quite insane. Also about the little Russia, by the way, uh, they they got a new flag, mind you, and this new flag is uh, the flag of <clears throat> Bogdan Khmelnytsk, which is very offensive to many Ukrainians. And it's, in general, kind of offensive, because uh, Bogdan Khmelnytsky, the dude who uh, whose flag they use in this um, little Russia, small Russia, uh, he was a hetman of Zaporozhian Cossacks. And, you know, under his lead, in 1648... A rebellion was started under the Poland, Poland-Lithuanian Commonwealth in modern Ukraine, and these Cossacks, with the help of Krim and Hanist, could crush the Polish forces, and they did a de facto independent Ukrainian, Ukrainian state, a hetmanate. However, six years later, because of the decisions that uh, the kind of the, the Rada, the lead organization of, of this Khmelnytsky, which Khmelnytsky ran, ran and, but his precise involvement is, is not very documented to me, uh, basically, that made him vas- made them this hetman a vassal of Russian Tsardom. And right now, right now, it's it's kind of he's a very controversial figure. There are like posters of him, and there are posters and paintings and, and sculptures of him a lot everywhere. Because um, in Ukraine, from one side, he's their kind of founding father, but from the other side, he is also looked at as the guy because of whom he he basically created this system, and then the system itself made stupid, terrible decisions which ended up with Russia annexing annexing Ukraine. Which basically means that, you know, from one side he was a good guy, not so bad. But, for example, in Poland, Khmelnytsky is traditionally viewed as a traitor and as the herald of the end of the golden age of the Commonwealth. In Russia, later in the Soviet Union, however, Khmelnytsky was shown as the unificator of the brotherly nations of Russia and Ukraine. And this term, brotherly nations, appears a lot. But yeah, he also, also, by the way, uh, he is viewed as a massive villain, well, massive villain by the Jews, because Khmelnytsky was was the dude who was running all these hetmen and all these Cossacks during the time when uh, massive repressions and pogroms happened in the, the Jews living in Ukraine. And, you know, there were... There were a lot of deaths and a lot of murder of Jews under Khmelnytsky's rule, so he is a controversial person at at best, okay? He had some good sides, he had some bad sides, but it's not a simple person. And like I said, all these all these new statements and all these new political things going on in, in, in Russia are, well, also, I would like to say, controversial at best, but uh, this is not it. We are, this is not completely it, and now we do have to move on to uh, Vovochka himself. By the way, a public service announcement, he is not Vlad. Vlad is shorthand for Vladislav. 
shorthand for Vladimir, shorthand for Vladimir is Vova or Vovochka. And even though, you know, using these denominative figures kind of kind of shows affection in our languages, including Latvian too, and over here, if you call him shorthand, that means you, you kind of like him. Uh, it also kind of mocks him a bit. So little Vovochka is little Vladimir, who is like the... Who was a part of all the political jokes here? But yeah, if someone says Vlad Putin, the, no, no, just just no. It's it's wrong. It is like someone you know. It's like someone uh, Dustin. Dustin uh, said it the best. It's if if someone was named Bill and you would constantly call him Bob, and everyone everyone from Bill's home country, everyone everyone from Bill's home country knew that he was Bill, but you still would keep on calling him Bob. Just just don't do that. <laughs> Call him Vovochka. Vovochka is much nicer than Vlad. Makes makes it look more funny. But anyways, Vovochka spent his time a bit talking with some children. Oh, on a very staged, uh, staged meeting with about 150 kids. Oh boy. <laughs> Vovochka met other Vovochkas. Let's get down to that then. Testing. Can anyone hear me? My name is Toby, and I'm the host of the Secret Transmission Podcast. We are a show that discusses the paranormal, conspiracies, the supernatural, UFOs, cryptozoology, and anything else weird. Our show is transmitted to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. You can also follow us on Twitter for updates, at SecretTransPod. So get ready to put on your tinfoil hats and come learn with us as we try to explain the unexplainable. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, and here I am back, back from the break. So... Putin speaking with uh, with uh, kids from a Sochi school, and this this just kind of fries my brain a bit. I'm sorry about this. I I needed to take breaks while recording this. At any rate, I'm going to be using the report of this meeting from the Guardian because that one was in English, and uh, well, doing a full translation of everything to English is quite annoying at one point, as I will still have to do it when it'll, when it, when we'll come to other subjects. But yeah, Putin basically organized this meeting to, to apparently show the children that and all the public that he's friendly to kids. And uh, and as the Guardian reports, uh, this was an audience made up almost entirely of Russians who were born after he first became president in 2000. That means basically the the oldest kids there were around 17, which is interesting because uh, kids which are well, I call them kids now. Oh, by God, I'm getting old. Well, yeah, basically, 18-year-olds uh, and older who can vote now 
and these days, those guys who actually sit on the internet and listen to podcasts such as mine and, and maybe yours, uh, if, if you're making a podcast or watch YouTube channels or whatever, these guys get exposed to a lot of ideas and they are much more inclined to get their information from YouTube and other other channels which are not the television, because television is firmly in control of Kremlin. So, he's just trying to make sure that the next generation, after these guys who are uh, running after Navalny right now, uh, that these guys could, would be kind of nicer there. And, you know, obviously the, the all the kids there were completely vetted, and the, it was completely ensured that no strange questions could be asked. But some questions were asked, however, and the answers to them kind of stunned me. And I'll start with a big hitter now. When he was asked, what do you plan to do when you leave the presidency? Vladimir Putin, while smiling and giving a tiny short pause, just responded, well, but I haven't decided yet if I will leave the presidency. And obviously, uh, obviously in the interview, kind of this, that's not exactly an interview, it's an interview of Putin by the kids, technically, but, and everyone in the audience just sits and applauds and laughs. Because it's awesome when it is in a democratic country, it's not you who decides who is going to be the president. But the president just, you know, knows that he will only leave when he personally decides all the situation. And this is kind of kind of shocking if you, if you think about all of this. And um, again, but Putin, again, didn't receive any criticisms this time. He was just basically answering random questions, but it, it left left a lot of questions unanswered and spawned new ones, obviously. See, previously, whenever Putin does does these things when he meets with the people, he always gets some complaint from uh, from the other side of Russia, from Siberia, something, something, and, and then they say, oh, we don't have money for this. So Putin says, I'll deal with this, and nothing happens, obviously. So Putin was asked also, uh, like, what, what, what do you do? What are your hobbies? And... Putin just responded that he likes, apparently, chatting with his friends, reading historical books, and we all know what kind of historical books they are. I mean, I also have the complete written works of Lenin at home, and, and, Stalin, and Stalin's books, insane amounts of them. It's like, we, we, share, we share the same tastes, probably for different reasons, but still. And obviously, he likes listening to music and <clears throat> doing sport, which is interesting, because uh, I... not Okay. <laughs> Now, the interesting thing was that when Putin was asked, what are the three values that are most important to him in life? And, you know, I, I was there sitting and thinking that, you know, maybe maybe a Conan reference here would be appropriate. You know, Putin is trying to be cool in front of the kids, but no, no, apparently he loves <clears throat> love, freedom, and life itself. Then Putin was asked what his childhood dream was. And he declined to say, but he dispensed uh, some valuable advice, very important to all of our listeners. <clears throat> You know, dreams are things that change over time. You should instead be happy that you have a dream, and you should make strides towards it. Well, that is, if, if you have, uh, if, if you want to become an astronaut, you should study physics and achieve it, and you should be very happy for wanting to be an astro- astronaut. Or, you know, maybe you want your dad, who works in Siberian mines coal, to finally get a salary. That's also a nice dream to have. Well, if you can't do anything about it, hey, hey, please be happy that, you know, you have a dream. That's that's something nice, and um, then of course magic happened. Then uh, then Putin got asked got asked one of the more shocking questions of this interview. He was asked whether he used the internet, and Putin Putin said that, and this plays into our previously mentioned things. Putin said that he almost never uses the internet, but he said the way people use nicknames and fake identities online was quite similar to what he had done in KGB years. 
and and this is where some slow applause, I think, is necessary to ultimate cynicism of uh, some men, really. Oh yeah, and uh, obviously, obviously, all the all the questions were vetted there, but uh, you know, you sometimes have to answer some faked, kind of difficult question to pretend like you care, and and basically, one of the kids asked. Uh, asked, well, what did Putin think of the opposition politicians? And president, by the way, Putin, he has never told anyone Navalny's name in public. He doesn't ever mention Navalny whatsoever. And he stated there that in Ukraine, people had used anti-corruption slogans to get into power, and now the country has has become even more corrupt. And this is kind of kind of interesting, because obviously it's it also shows the fact that Putin wants to sit there as long as he wants, with all these ultra-nationalistic Russian expansionist ambitions going on, because uh, they need this external enemy, and it's like, you know, we're gonna grab more territory, and it's gonna be awesome. Shame that I live in the territory that, you know, they, they didn't deny they don't want. Because, you know, if Poland and Finland get specifically mentioned, and then he talks about Ukraine and Belarus and, and, and these places, then it's like, well, um, we also were in the Russian Empire, so uh, our absence is kind of ominous. Of that, of that guy, the, the previous nationalist nationalist statements made with the on the debate against Navalny. But here, Putin basically represents the same thing. He doesn't care, and I think he also feeds on this ultra-nationalist sentiment there, because because uh, all this nationalism and all this all this willingness to obey the authorities for the greatness of of your country, this kind of replaces replaces some ideals uh, which which were there in in ninety early nineties when we really wanted, like, more liberty. Our country was the biggest country on planet Earth. We, we were great, but we were economically stagnant and we were poor. And, and now, apparently, these values are, like, coming back. And I had... Um, and in between of recordings here, because uh, this, is, this is a bit chopped up, and, yeah, I did take a break between recording part one and then part two and then this, because I wanted to kind of organize this better. I spoke with some people, just just went inside, abused my my, uh, journalist privileges a bit and just hanged around and talked with with some people who just lived in in my block around around this place. And what I found out is that, yeah, well, from the people that I spoke with, there are some Soviet nostalgia, but there is even more nostalgia, for example, for Karl Sulmans. And really, that was the year of Latin prosperity. We were very prosperous uh, under this authoritarian dictator. He wasn't fascist, though, although there are attempts to, you know, portray him as fascist, especially by pro-Soviet and now pro-Russian people, but it wasn't the case, really. Uh, He never killed anyone, like, at all. And the best, the very worst thing he did for his political opponents was uh, a house arrest. Yeah, and stuff like that. But... it's, It's so weird, because he did destroy democratic institutions in Latvia. And, yeah... Turns out that there are people here who would gladly just get rid of democracy because they they think that all this hustle with parties is just too much and that we need a strong leader who could take care of things. Well, they have a strong leader in Russia, but that leader is more interested in, you know, conquering more lands and expanding the territories instead of actually improving the lives of, of their people. And I'm not sure if the people actually would like living better. Because, you know, it, it, there's an interesting thing about about whatever you do, and at one point you have to kind of admit that um, it's always easier to criticize an external enemy rather than to accept something that you might be doing something wrong. It's it's always kind of easier and, and, and nicer, and, and this applies to everyone. 
Yes, if you are in a social group, and I'm talking about Putin here and pro-Putin, this kind of, I've been trying to understand these people. And you know what? It's it's really, it's just better to blame someone else for their issues instead of solving them, personally. And uh, and it's like, I could, I could blame some people who send me complaints about my podcast and on email and tell them that, uh, you know, you're all wrong. Or instead, I could sit down and think about what I'm doing wrong with my podcast and try to improve. And this applies to states as well, because, and, and this, this played into... Uh, for example, Desai Berlin's essays and and uh, a lot of a lot of kind of early twentieth century after World War One philosophy, the fact that we're afraid of freedom, and freedom brings you responsibility, and it's easier to state that someone is oppressing you, and it's easier you know for someone to trust someone to make decisions for you. You know, thinking and and being independent is hard. It's way easier if. You know, you don't take responsibility for this because in a democratic situation, sure, you can blame the politicians for a lot of things, but you do carry some responsibility for whom do you elect and how do you vote. In authoritarian regimes, you don't have that. You can just yell at the leader, even though maybe sometimes quietly, if it's a particularly nasty regime. But if you have one strong leader somewhere, then you can just you can just yell at it and blame it as you do in democratic countries. Except now you also don't have to take responsibility for not, for example, going to elections or something. And this happens in a lot of places, and a lot of people want that. And this just kind of follows this point that you know everyone wants wants something more. The people in Donetsk want the people in Donetsk want their Malo Russia to be kind of accepted as a country. The Russian ultranationalists want to create a pan-Slavic mega-Russia, and Putin just, you know, wants wants to carry on without opposition and wants to basically carry on stealing and being corrupt and, and threatening and, you know, being the strong leader which everyone wants while running in this massive system in Russia. And I think I think that this belief also just goes further on than, than, than Putin. Oh, by the way, slightly back to this, this is chaotic, and I know that, and hey, you know that Alice is not, he- not here, and I apologized in the beginning, but uh, one interesting thing is that uh, I expected that Putin would mention something about, like, G20 or Donald Trump in, in this interview with the kids, but no, nothing, and and it's it's kind of kind of shocking, really, because you would think, because all I hear from American podcasts right now on politics is, and this is also why I was really careful while making this episode, is, you know, discussions about Trump and Putin alleged connections. But see, I, I'm i not sure if, if that matters that much. I know, I pretty much believe that Russia did something to your elections. I'm not exactly sure that they colluded with Trump, though. They might have colluded with some other people who did some other things in the Trump administration. But I'm not I'm not sure if if Trump if Trump cuz I I honestly believe I like Trump voters. I like everyone voters. I uh, I just do believe that Trump is a bit incompetent. Cuz you know, if if you think about this, okay? If you think about see Trump Trump was elected by a certain group of people who wanted certain things. And if I was a Trump voter, I would be kind of dissatisfied because he's, you know, if, if I'm a conservative voter and I want Trump to do conservative things, then Trump isn't doing any conservative things. He's not keeping any promises. Now, I'm pretty sure if, if Hillary had won and she would be elected by the more liberal, liberal kind of electorate, then she also would probably disappoint those guys because we would be another situation. Essentially, Trump right now is too incompetent and isn't doing anything, but uh, I have a question. That who is? Okay. I think that some some other things might happen here. I have no idea. 
really. But uh, this is this is what I've been hearing like all the time. Instead of of Putin actually commenting on anything, is this is not an issue in Russia. No one talks about whether or not. I know this is this is my mistake, by you. I thought it would be a massive blow to Putin's authority or regime if anyone would kind of find out that he had been colluding with uh, with Trump or that he had like messed with your elections, because that would mean you know he's always portraying. Well, by you, I mean American, and I'm sorry, other listeners, most of my listeners are American, therefore. Therefore, I mostly focus on them. I have spoken about other countries, though, and I do know you exist, of course. Putin basically, you know, I, he has never even published this out, and he hasn't made much comments about this. Oh, no, except he told to Trump to make these the joint cybersecurity force there, which is kind of silly. With everything going on here, but yeah, the only thing, the only American which was actually mentioned in this this interview there was Oliver Stone, the film director who apparently made a four-hour documentary about the Russian president, which was well criticized by many for being like too soft on the president. But hey, you can't be tough on Putin if Putin is automatically tougher than you. And you know, we're talking about special prisons here in the previous section, so wouldn't want to end up there. Putin said he really liked the <clears throat> extraordinary Stone. Although he said that uh, he had fallen asleep while he was watching this movie about himself, which is just only slightly glorifying, mind you, so uh, Putin isn't even bothered to watch glorifying movies about himself. Which, again, massive applause, everyone's happy, and whenever I say massive applause, it's kind of funny, because this is exactly the thing which, if you listen to my previous Stalin episode, is how they reported all the speeches in this. This mega applause after whatever your great leader says is something shocking. So yeah, all this situation is is getting kind of weird. It, it's getting more and more punchy, and I think, I think time might come soon enough, and next year, hopefully, that Putin might have to look at his internal issues and and do some struggling inside his own country because Navalny is not going to go anywhere. Navalny is going to create more protests, and again, and I might be wrong at this because I was wrong previously about the idea that any any American collusion with, might hurt Putin. It didn't. It just never appeared anywhere. Everything is silent, not even Navalny speaks about it, nobody wants to speak about it, because they all have to kind of pay homage to this external threat and greatness instead of internal errors on which Navalny is pointing out, And but still he has to kind of pay this, this homage when it comes to like Crimea. So I might be wrong at this, but I do believe that the internal struggles will will be will be the main issue of Putin for the remainder of this year at least. However, however, if for some reason this Malarashi announcement, the little Russia, small Russia announcement in in Donbass region isn't just a random fluke, then Putin might actually use that to strengthen his own self. Because there are two things Putin can do. He can either look at his own errors, or again, do the easier way out, and just perceive external threats. And hey, he also has some, has some friends, really. Because uh, when I speak about this authoritarianism and kind of not having enough Republican tradition, how I call it. You know, Republican tradition is a term from a video game, Europe Universalis, where monarchies have this legitimacy, and, you know, the lower legitimacy, the bigger revolt chance, and various malices on your country, and, like, democracies, well, what democracies? Merchant republics, basically, and some democracies there, they have this Republican tradition. And if that is low, then it's very easy for the country to kind of transition into a monarchy, and again, stability gets lower, and, and various bad bad things happen, basically. And over here, our Republican tradition isn't that big. And it's always like, I, this is the 
running theme of this show. It's easier It's easier not to take responsibility. It's easier to kind of, after 25 years, get nostalgic of what happened previously. And it's kind of hard to understand, especially for some some people of the older generation and also some, some youths who may, may have been radicalized that, that, you know, it's actually dependent on you, that you have to go out, that you have to vote, that you have to, you know, you have to stand for the values that you should stand for and that just giving responsibility away would be would be terrible. And and nothing nothing was harder on this on the region here and I'm sorry that I have to mention this but on Poland because Poland's lower house of parliament recently voted crazy new reforms. You know, they're run by Andrzej Duda and the Law and Justice Party and they run reforms which basically, you know, and um, imagine this in American terms. That'll be nice because you will get horrified pretty soon. Uh, they wanted to make ju- judicial system more effective and able to fight corruption. Therefore, they made reforms by 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 whom, which basically mean that all of their Supreme Court judges will be removed, all of them, and they will all be replaced, and that the parliament shall have the kind of authority over the judges. That means the Supreme Court of Poland shall no longer be completely independent here. This uh, bill got passed by... 235 votes to 192. And yeah, all, all the current Supreme Court judges will be forced into retirement. And uh, it's kind of interesting because Mr. Tusk, Donald Tusk, who used to be one of the one of the great leaders of European European Council, he basically openly, sta- openly stated, and he also was Polish Prime Minister previously, Donald Tusk stated that these changes are backward, and that this is the day that ju- judicial independence died. And he asked Poland's President Andrzej Duda, and uh, for a meeting, and he basically warned him that this goes against European values and risks marginalizing the country. And uh, I know some of you could could laugh about this European value, values thing, as, as um, there are people out there who see Europe as you know coming only only for for crazy mega liberalism, only for for weird stuff which you might not not get not accept for. But actually, European values are are those of tolerance and are those of of immense republican tradition by this point. Except here, here we don't have this. These are the European values, the values of, you know, being responsible yourself, like trying to, trying to improve your living space and, and making sure that everything is just and nice. And one of the, one of the really interesting things is that um, even Lech Walesa, yes, that Lech Walesa uh, basically <laughs> stated that people should really go out and protest this. And some people are. So... Not everything is terrible, but um, it is kind of weird. As what happens now in Poland with this is is interesting, because there, if you haven't read on it, read on the separation of powers, it's actually very important that the courts become still remain independent. But it kind of posed the way for a non-democratic system there, if you think about it. And but then again, this is an extremely important popular reform. About sixty-three percent of Poland on opinion polls said that they would support such reform because they like tired of. Uh, Tired of their judges, and why this is so? Because after the Soviet Union collapsed, and you know we all transferred from socialism to capitalism in a lot of places, especially in Poland and in the Baltic states, uh, the ex-communists weren't persecuted, and some even like stayed in power, and and some some things like that can happen in Czech Republic too. 
which I spoke with Travis at one point, and he told me that it's so, and, and maybe some things are going on in Hungary, because, you know, that you still have these ex-communists doing things. So, again, this, this, this is weird, because here, again, we see how our freedoms get eroded away, because we don't like to return to socialism, but there is something more. Wow, clinging in. It's like, we, we do not want that kind of dictatorship. Now we sort of support a new one. And, and I, I remember I yelled, I yelled at my own government a while ago when they uh, passed a resolution of basically adding a preamble to our uh, to our constitution, which basically was declaring the the spiritual the, the the kind of the spiritual intent of the makers of this constitution of Latvian forefathers where they were when they wrote this down and that was silly because uh, now we have a preamble to the to our satvarsm to our constitution which is basically you can change the constitution it's hard but you can do it if, if like people can do it this thing no it is literally impossible by any means so now we have a governmental document which basically states the very core of all of our all of all all what we stand for and you know this this might be a good thing and I'm, I'm pretty sure you can find some good things that you know your your government has a clear paper which which it stands on but that should be the constitution and it can be changed for a reason it it kind of gives liberties here but if you think about it I'll also uh, if you think about it well what what will happen in the future what could happen in the future also same situation with um, with so-called aliens that's how they call them so they're the non non-citizens of Latvia you know the, the people who had their weird status here because they weren't granted citizenship and and they just hanged around here and their integration policies were miserable. See, over here recently in Latvia in the past three years, because of all this weirdness that my government is doing and poor integration policies and Kremlin's propaganda, the amount of Russian citizens that live here in Latvia has increased by 29,000, which is quite big for a country of 2 million people, basically. And then, and then it was interesting how when when my government made this weird rule, the the journalist just asked, well, what 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 would happen if if someone else gets in power? What if they make such a document? And it was just laughed off, and nobody cared. And this is this is this is kind of another big thing of of this show and why I'm so serious here is that when nobody cares, then things either stagnate or go, or go worse, really. And you have to care. And I do believe that, like, remember 1848, the, the big revolutions and, and people who cared, really. Well, now think about 2048. We will have a whole new generation of people who have been growing up in this very radicalized atmosphere, or in some countries, like in Russia, in the atmosphere of the fact that they should go out and conquer other countries, or, for example, in my country, with the idea that... Um, there are certain documents, like certain things that government does, which people can't mess in, or, or some such other things which are like changing now. But that's going to impact those who come after us, and, and you know what? Right now we just have some protests, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, pro-Putin, anti-Putin, pro-corruption, anti-corruption. Okay, there are no pro-corruption protests, but you get my drift here. Right now we have peaceful protests with some violence in them. But if we look at these tendencies of everything just becoming more and more gloomy, more concentrated and, you know, things that I didn't thought didn't thought possible like 10 years ago are happening right now, if we normalize this violence, if we normalize this lack of culture of debates, if we normalize the fact that people can just, you know, not care about their rights and and, and if we normalize this, like Look, kids laughed at Putin when he told, well, I don't want to leave the president's office yet. No one stood up and told him, hey, you jerk, this is not for you to decide. We, we live in a democracy, okay? We're, we're elect, you might, you, you have to win your position in honest, honest elections. Nobody cares, they just, they just laughed at this. And this is sort of this tragedy of, of lack of political culture and radicalization of, of society in general. And another testament of the fact that how, how will these kids think and what will their actions be in 2048 if what they hear is this 
weird thing and it's perfectly normal that you have a president for like 40 years 20 years fine it, it's it's been that way all all the time and this is this is why standing up for your civil liberties and you know if you have political opinions like defending them is is very important and talking about them and really understanding what's going on there because such crazy things and, and assaults on basically civil liberties and, and freedom of speech I haven't really and, and just open talk of, of conquest and, and warfare this is getting silly guys this is getting really silly and I'm sorry for the disjointed episode but I just want you to do the, wanted you to think about think about all the situation and uh, well see you next time when Alice will hopefully be, will be back and uh, I will do the book reading and I will do the Stalin episode. Uh, a PDRP is coming up too. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be about the role that uh, ideologies and religion plays in politics. It's going to be really nice. I have uh, gotten a more more or less conservative person here this time because I've been I've been giving voice on to liberal liberal people on on PDRP before. So I will be discussing this. That doesn't mean that uh, that that people from the right will like me anymore because. Uh, as usual, I plan on poking people with questions. But yeah, I just have to kind of get myself together, grab some gravitas, and you know, give you give you some some sometimes philosophical news, if you can call them. Yeah, the the very weird way of of talking about current events when you understand that you have to like sit alone at your home and you you just don't know what is going on as as crazy news just pop up as you're recording this. Well. I hope I hope you weren't too disappointed by this episode, and you know at least I'm I'm responding to you, and I'm doing all these things, and uh, not 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 sitting silent as some people whom I used to watch a lot. I'm looking at you, Spoonie. Spoonie is isn't isn't co- cooperating with anyone. Uh, one other thing in the finale here, I have acquired two packs of extremely rare, extremely valuable, and extremely old Soviet cigarettes, Astra, and I I checked them up on eBay. And you can't even buy them on eBay, which is interesting part. But I I promised that I will smoke one on webcam and post that on YouTube, and that shall happen. But the problem is, uh, again, I can't do it without, without Alice, really. That shall happen. And secondly, this other pack, which is sealed, 20 cigarettes in. You can find the pictures on it on our, on our Twitter, on our Facebook page. That shall go on a special auction. And this, this auction shall be destined to... Improve the microphone, because earphones on this aren't working that well. But that's something really awesome, and something that if you're a smoker, or you know someone who is a smoker, and, you know, buying cool cigars is like, so last year, how about you buy the real cigarettes, which were smoked by Soviet soldiers? And yeah, also, I'll be I'll be just uh, maybe sending... Because I don't want to open the second pack, as it's, it's basically... It will perish, and it's kind of this perishable thing, and it looks really nice in the pack. So I'll organize that too. More information on that coming up later. Again, when Alice Alice returns, I cannot make any executive decisions here, <laughs> after all. But the other pack of cigarettes will be, you know, kind of split up and very kind of carefully sent one by one to some of you out there. And uh, But I do have to say I'm going to be sending less stuff out there to you guys uh, at the end of the month because so far I've gotten so many returns on everything that I've decided that I'm going to use a bit more expensive way of sending things, but then the, my postal service will not lose stuff and I won't get random returns. Because once my mail was even returned by the United States mail, because uh, they didn't check that the money which I put in the put in like the envelope was actually old Soviet rubles and that it's not money anymore. So that happened. But yeah, when some when something gets lost in the mail, I get very sad because you can't really reproduce old medals and old pins and old bills. Oh, but yeah. 
this was it, and uh, I'm in my thinking mood right now, and probably going to going to do some translating work on the on the Polyutkovskaya book. And if you haven't really checked that out, please do. And and let's just hope that that in the future we we try to you know internalize more things, because external threats are very easy, but they sometimes lead to disastrous results. Huh, that's about it. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.